There's an old Scarswell saying that luck favours three kinds of people. The patient, the wealthy, and the lucky. I may not be patient or rich, but I'm holding out hope for the last one. This story, though, comes to us from a citizen who knows a thing or two about bad luck. And by the end of it, you might be seeing mirrors in a new light. For a long time, when I was younger, I was terrified of mirrors. My father was a tall and formidable man, and he must, with his carefully sculpted beard and his thoroughly plucked nasal hairs, have looked in the mirror with some regularity. This didn't stop him, though, from telling me a story that made my blood run cold. Look in the mirror after midnight, he said, and you'll see the devil standing behind you. I must have only been six or seven years old. We lived in a narrow and crumbly terrace. I still remember that my father was speaking to me in the slim hallway alongside the staircase, where it was so dark and dingy that even on a high summer's day, you'd be driven half mad by the play of shadows across the walls. It might have been the middle of the night. It might have been broadest day. Have you seen him? I asked. Just once my father replied. He spoke so steadily, so evenly, that I didn't doubt for a moment that he was telling the truth. I looked in the mirror and there he was, getting ready to lay a big, bony hand on my shoulder. I spun around and he wasn't there anymore. What does he look like? I said. If I told you, my father said, you wouldn't believe me. Like I said, I never thought that he might be lying. It didn't occur to me that this might all have been a ploy to keep me from wandering around the house in the middle of the night, something I've been told my prepubescent self was quite partial to. So I took the advice seriously. Probably I took it too seriously. I suppose that, after midnight could technically be any time at all. It's always after one midnight, and always before another. But I took the direction to mean that, just to be safe, I should avoid looking in a mirror whenever it was dark outside, whenever I couldn't be confident of what I would make out as I looked into my own face, in the gloom behind it. I stayed this way throughout my childhood. As a little boy, I always took myself off to bed early in the evening, I severely neglected my teenage acne and left myself scarred to this day. What are a few spots, I thought, compared to a face-to-face -face meeting with the devil. If nothing else, I could never be accused of vanity. I install conservatories. It sounds ironic, doesn't it? But on the other hand, when you really think about it, maybe it's not. And I do think about it often. You might not expect a kid with a deathly phobia of mirrors to end up working with glass, it's true. But the whole point of a conservatory is you can see through it. Not a lot of reflections to speak of. Not if you sit there during a summer's afternoon, sweating and drinking your pims. It doesn't hurt, either, that it lets so much light into the house. The houses I work with, though, they're something else entirely. 
I still live in Scarswell, just a few streets over from where I grew up. Most of my customers, though, they're out in the countryside, or at least in the suburbs. Scarswell Rise, Haddock Hills. They're big mansions on leafy lanes. They're the kind of houses that have names instead of numbers. Names like Basil Cottage or The Coach House or Turnip Lodge. So all in all, you could say that this was a good way of processing my trauma. Nothing like getting up close and personal with a whole lot of glass to cure you of a childhood fear of mirrors. Probably. One ordinary morning, I pulled up to one of these houses. You know the kind of place. Gravel driveway, usually with a Jaguar on it. Lady of the house, peering out of an upstairs window with her dressing gown on, watching me back the van in, practically hoping I reverse into the wall or her gladioli, or a garden gnome, just so she can demand payment or some other kind of restitution. Nice work, Ryan said from the passenger seat. Ryan was my apprentice. He was a good lad, kept out of trouble, carried the glazing from the van without once dropping it. We liked to joke that he was overdue for a catastrophe like this, and he said the same thing about me. You can't work for long in a business like ours, I figure, without bringing some bad luck upon yourself. They say if you break a mirror, that's seven years. I'm not sure what it is if you let a whole conservatory's worth of glazing fall off the back of a van, but I figure it's a lot. Come on, I said. Let's crack on. They've left the side gate open, so we can get started. I was still doing my bit to shivy Ryan along, not that he needed it, when I paused in front of the house. The pea gravel was crunching under my boot, and behind me came the noises of Ryan retrieving tools from the van. But I was too busy looking at the nameplate. There, beside the door, set into the brick, was the name Devil's Advocate. Maybe to most people it wouldn't mean much. But when you're used to seeing houses called Potato Muse and the Apple Barn, it's a bit of a shock. Funny name for a house, Ryan said, in it. I had to agree. There isn't much to it, honestly. Installing a conservatory, I mean. By the time you show up to the customer's house, most of the hard work's been done for you. You start by measuring out the foundations. You get the underlay down, the floor. You build a dwarf wall. And then the glazing pretty much snaps into place. It takes some delicacy and a steady hand. But it's not that hard. Like so many things in life, People could do it themselves, if they had the time. That's the thing. Most people don't. So there we were, standing in the sun out the back of Devil's Advocate. Like I said, we'd been told to let ourselves in through the garden gate. Nobody had shown up to greet us. Less still to make us a cup of tea. Not that there's anything unusual about that. I'm not one to complain. Making your tradesman a cup of tea is a dying art in this country like little girls learning to dance the waltz. The funny thing, though, was that I had had a sense from the beginning that there was somebody inside the house. Maybe several somebodies, for that matter. I'd be looking down at my work, listening to Ryan chat away about whatever he had to chat about, and all his friends going off to university, usually, or some girl he'd met. And then I'd see someone moving out of the corner of my eye. In my peripheral vision... Just a figure, a shadow, moving across the window. And I'd look up 
and there'd be nobody there. It started messing with my head, to be honest. I was getting a sense that there was something different about this place. Something intimidating. From the look of it, Devil's Advocate wasn't so unusual. It was big, made all of red bricks, set in a garden that you could have put four conservatories in, if you wanted to. But I was used to all that. Soon, though, I started getting convinced that there was something funny going on. The red of the bricks was a bit too red, like blood. The spacing of the windows was all wrong, and there were people inside who didn't want me to catch them looking at us. The fifth or sixth time it happened, we'd been having a quiet moment with the foundations, just Ryan and me and the soft sounds of the radio. I actually sprang to my feet. I looked from one window to the next, convinced I was finally going to settle on a face looking out at us. But there was nothing. I heard Ryan start chuckling right away. Everything all right, Skipper? Looks like the heat's getting to you. Did you see somebody inside? I said. Just now. I mean. Ryan looked up from one window to the next, like he was carefully gathering data to give an informed answer. I had an odd urge to shake him, to tell him that whoever was there at the window had bloody well gone now, hadn't they? So there wasn't much point in looking anymore. Don't think so, he said. Anyway, didn't you say they were on holiday, yeah? Cyprus, you said. I thought back over the last few days, wondering if I had in fact said this. It was an oddly specific thing for Ryan to remember, if I hadn't. But now I couldn't decide for sure if I had. There certainly wasn't a car in the driveway, I realised as if for the first time. I shook my head, more to clear the cobwebs than to tell Ryan he was talking rubbish. A song began to fade out on the radio. The DJ launched into some monologue about how much he hoped everyone was wearing sunscreen, because it sure was a hot one out there. You're listening to 103.4, the DJ said. The swell, Scarswell and beyond, right the way across the south coast. If you've got a request, give us a call. And if you haven't, stick around, because we've got Lionel Richie coming up. The opening bars of the next song started. Ryan gawped at me. Let's stop for lunch, I said. I'm knackered. I don't know if whoever was in the window decided to pack it in for a while. Maybe Ryan was right, and the heat really had got to me. A Cornish pasty and a cup of tea later and I was working like the clappers. By the middle of the afternoon, we had got the waterproofing down and we were ready to start shifting the glazing round the back. All right, I said to Ryan. Show me what you can do, and don't bloody drop any of it, right? Ryan, ever good-natured, shook his head at the very idea that he would drop anything. For today, at least. He was probably right. He had the steadier hands of the two of us. I stepped back onto the lawn and admired our handiwork. The garden of this place went on forever. If I wanted to, I could go on walking backwards until the conservatory and the house it was attached to was just a speck. I listened to the rattlings of the van keys and the sliding door while I took a swig from my water bottle and wiped my forehead under the sun. There are a few hours to go yet, but I felt like I was all set to take a cool shower, put my feet up, 
and wait for my wife's cooking to show up on the table. I was distracted by my thoughts when I saw movement again out of the corner of my eye. I turned back to the house, expecting to see Ryan emerging from the side, a pane of sheet glass between his gloved hands, but I didn't. I saw again, figures, moving behind the windows of the house. This time they were clearer. They were big. And there were two of them. They were sort of human-shaped and human-sized. But I couldn't make them out as well as I might have. There was a strong glare coming off the windows from the sun high in the sky, and I cupped my hand to my eyes and moved on the spot to get a better look. It was like all the house's windows, which had looked perfect and pristine and freshly washed before, were suddenly dark and gritty, glazed over with filth. I took a couple of steps closer to the house, and I could make them out a bit clearer. They were hovering, now, behind an upstairs window. I couldn't see which way they were looking. Couldn't even see if they had faces at all, to be honest. But then gradually, one of them started to turn to me. It raised one shadowy arm, reaching up toward the window, and began, slowly, to look in my direction. I was interrupted by an enormous crash. The moment was broken. I looked to the side of the house and saw Ryan, standing there, his hands empty, and still held in the shape of the pain they had been cradling moments before. Shards of glass were shattered all over the side alley of the house. Jesus Christ, I said. What do you think you're doing? Ryan went on looking down between his hands. It was as if he had only just realised what had happened, what he had done. Like there was no earthly reason for it. Like it was just a freak accident that had come out of nowhere. One moment, he seemed to be saying, he was holding the glass, and the next, he wasn't. I'm sorry, boss, Ryan said, speaking slowly like his mind was still trying to catch up. It's just, the look on your face, fucking hell. What are you talking about, I said. Your face, he repeated. I mean, are you all right? You was making this face when I saw you, like your face was all creased up and white. You're still looking pretty pale. Are you serious? Yeah, Ryan went on. Honest, you looked like you were, I don't know, really angry or scared or something. Never seen anything like it. This time, there was no surprise when, as I looked back up to the window, I saw again that there was nobody there. For yet another time that day, I shook my head and tried to get free from whatever was happening to me. The last thing I needed was Ryan starting to think I'd lost my mind. I remember the day when I conquered my fear, or at least the day I thought I had conquered it. My dad was never a cruel or abusive guy when I was younger, not that I remember anyway. But as I got older, we started to fight. Once, when I was 18 or 19 or thereabouts, and I had started getting my first few jobs working on building sites, we used to have these big, blazing rows. It wasn't that we came to blows. We never hit each other. But we had some... frank exchanges of views, let's say. What are you doing with your life? My father would say. That sort of thing, you know. 
I tell him the truth, that I was working. I was bringing money into the house. This was Scarswell close to the turn of the millennium. It might not have been glamorous, but there was some work around, if you were willing to put in the graft. I thought I was going about life in exactly the right way, but my dad had other ideas. Why can't you be a bit more ambitious, he would say. My father had hardly led a distinguished life, but I guess it was natural for him to want better for me than what he had had himself. Same old story with parents, I suppose. Anyway, I always gave as good as I got. I might have given more, to be honest. I was getting to be a big lad by then, and my dad, well, he was pretty much going in the opposite direction. Sometimes he made me want to get up and cuff him around the ear or something, but I never did. I don't hit people. I do sometimes hit things, though. One evening, after I'd had a couple of beers and we'd had another one of our arguments, I went upstairs to go to bed. It was a warm day in the summer, and there was still a bit of light in the bathroom. I don't know what brought me to do it, but, well, I felt like it was about time I got over this. I braced my hands on the edges of the sink, and I looked up into the mirror. I saw myself, no surprises there. Nothing else, either. Not unless you count the fancy soap dispensers and bottles of shampoo my mom was so fond of. Still, though, I had a lot of pent-up energy. I picked up a bottle and wielded it like a hammer. A few good swings and the mirror was in little fragments at my feet and all over the sink. See? Mirrors weren't that scary, once I thought about it. By the third day at Devil's Advocate, we were pretty much done. I'd made a resolution not to look at the windows any more than I could help it. I know, I know. A conservatory fitter trying not to look at windows is like a butcher trying not to look at meat. But you know what I mean. The strategy turned out to work pretty well, and what was left of the job went without a hitch. The warm weather had persisted, and I was wiping away the sweat every few minutes. My hands were slippery, and fitting what was left of the glass was a slow, two-man job. Still, we were pretty resolved to get things done in good order. Take your time in these final stages, I know, and the rest of the thing takes care of itself. I know Ryan was looking forward to getting home for the weekend, and as for me, well, I was looking forward to seeing the back of Devil's Advocate. That house was starting to creep me out. You're listening to the swell the DJ said on the radio. Here's a song for everyone who's ready to make an early start at the weekend. Wish we was making an early start to the weekend, Ryan said. Any chance of that, boss? Plenty, I said, if we bloody well get on with it. Maybe I was hurrying him along a bit much. Years later, I still wonder about that. About what else I could have done, should have done. I was checking the fit and finish of all the vertical glazing by now, and Ryan was up the ladder, adding the trim and the waterproofing to the glass and the roof. I watched him, reaching up and over every pane of glass, and I didn't see anything untoward. Maybe I should have done. We were getting well into the afternoon, and in an hour or two, the light would start to fail too. I wanted to get this job over with, and I told Ryan as much. Going as fast as I can, boss, he said. I went round the outside of the conservatory, spot-checking each of the panes of glass, 
I'd worked my way through two or three when I saw something that stopped me in my track. To this day, I wonder if it was an illusion. Maybe this was all in my head, or maybe it was something more than that. I caught a look at my own reflection in the glass. I didn't even think anything of it, and then I saw that I wasn't the only one there. There was somebody else, somebody standing next to me, or behind me. Well, no point drawing this out. I screamed. I let out a yell that probably rattled the glass in the frames. And that might have been bad enough, but my yell must have gone through Ryan like a needle and thread, because he toppled off the ladder, face first. I went straight through the roof. There was a lot of mess. I'm sure you can imagine. I kept Ryan talking while the ambulance came. Gave his girlfriend a call when they put him in the back of it. She said she'd see him at the hospital. Thanked me, even. Once Ryan was gone, I went round the back and tried to clean up as best as I could. Swept away the glass, mopped up the blood. It was getting dark by the time I was finished, but if I wanted to get the job done in good time before, well, by now I was pretty much frantic. That was almost the last of it. I sat in the van in the driveway for a couple of minutes longer, with my head in my hands. It was amazing that I'd managed not to cut them. I turned the keys in the ignition, and I gave the house one last look. It was dark by then, but surprise, surprise, I saw something in the window. A figure. And this time I was sure of it. There was only one of them. Here at the Scarswell Tourists Information Office, we rely on our listeners. If you enjoy our stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon and find our newsletter, merch and more at scarswellonsea.com. We'll see you in two weeks. We're so very sorry.